Welcome to Ag Matters, a podcast where we talk about both matters of agriculture and why agriculture matters. Here's your host, Dr. Amanda Stone, Mississippi State University Assistant Professor and Extension Dairy Specialist. This is Dr. Amanda Stone, Mississippi State University Extension Specialist, and welcome to Ag Matters. Today, we're picking up where we left off last episode um, on farmer mental health and opioid misuse. So if you didn't actually tune in to the last episode, I recommend going back and doing that first so you have a little bit more of um, context when we hear from Mary Nelson Robertson and Dr. David Buys on this topic, and they are our guests, and we will be um, picking up right where we left off. So what got you all personally interested in this? Why was this your career path? Right. So I, you know, as I, when I introduced myself, I said I'm a state health specialist for extension. And um, I, I like to think of myself, you know, I, I don't, I'm not like a typical academic where I pick a, a certain area of, of focus and, and go in that direction. Um, as a specialist for extension, my job is to respond to the needs of the state. And right now, we're in an opioid misuse crisis, and we know that the mental health challenges that producers are facing are at probably an all-time high. So my job as a as a specialist in extension is to find a way to respond to that. So this is, um, and, and you know, I, I just say to, to make it a little more personal, my I feel like my calling is to serve Mississippi. I grew up here. I've got um, I have six generations in the ground in one cemetery in Rankin County. So wow. I love Mississippi, and this is this is home, and I want to see Mississippi thrive and not just uh, not just be reactionary uh, to problems, but to to get ahead of issues. And this is a way that we can do that. We can get ahead of the crisis before mm-hmm. um, b- before it gets worse and help meet the needs of our producers. I mean, let's let's face it, producers are they're feeding us, they're clothing us, and. Mm-hmm. And if that goes away, you know, wow, we're going to be be in, be in real trouble. So it's a way for us to serve those who are serving us in such an important way. Well, and like Mary Nelson alluded to earlier, Mississippi is not always in first place in something, right? We're yeah. usually in last place for health-related yeah. issues like obesity and that mm-hmm. type of stuff, right? And so we're first place for prescribing. Okay, yeah, third place not, for, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which is not good. <laughs> not good. So there's a lot of uh, room to do your work right. here, which is, I guess, job security, but not yeah. the job security you, you want to have. Right. Yeah. Yes. So Mary Nelson, what got you into this? Um, well, I've always been interested in alcohol and other drugs, and when I realized how farmers are affected by this, I come from a farming family. My grandfather and my great-grandfathers before him, and then my dad and my two older brothers and all of my uncles and my first cousins, they farm. And um, farming and agriculture is the backbone of America. And like Dr. Boss said, our farmers are responsible for feeding us and clothing us. And they really are what keep our economy going in the United States. And um, oftentimes when you think of farmers, you don't think about the mental health challenges that farmers are facing. You just see a strong man normally when you think of farmers. And um, farmers are very strong people, but they're humans just like we are. Mm-hmm. And we have to also, we know that mental health is just as important as our physical health and in carrying on our daily activities. And so mm-hmm. I really want to make a difference in these farmers and their employees' lives. Well, I think you are making a difference. You're doing a, a good job with it. You th- are too. Well, so thank you. <laughs> the um, misconceptions that we've talked about about mental health and drug misuse and all of that, I think, goes along with the 
misconceptions or I guess idealistic thoughts of what farming is and I think a lot of people when you think about a farmer if you don't really know what it's about you think of a nice life you get to spend Mm -hmm. time with your family all the time it's kind of easygoing you get to go outside you get to do live on the land that your parents farmed and all of that and I think it's surprising to people to learn that farmers and, and rural communities in general struggle with these things more than big cities, right? Like I grew up in Pittsburgh and I remember seeing things that were not quite good <laughs> probably for children to mm-hmm. see growing up, um, not being involved in it, obviously, but seeing seeing some misuse going on around me. Um, and so I think that it's surprising to a lot of people. So why do you think why do you think we have that misconception, I guess, that not just particularly farmers, that it's the idealistic thing, but that cities are where these problems exist instead of the rural communities, which I understand is where the real problem is? Out of sight, out of mind. I think you, you look at the news outlets, they're all based in cities. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at the, the folks who are policymakers, they go to cities to make policies. They're, mm-hmm. they're responding to what's, what they see around them. Um, and, and so it's incumbent on us to be a voice, to be a mouthpiece, to be a voice for the issues in rural communities and um, to, to do something about it like we are in, in very tangential ways, uh, tangible ways rather, um, but also to, to go to, um, to be advocates. And, and of course, as employees of state, of state agency, we don't, we don't direct, do direct advocacy, but we certainly educate uh, those who do. And, and telling this story to those who have a um, have a voice in the halls of Congress in the halls of the state legislature is important. And we were, you know, as y'all know, we were just down in Jackson at the Mississippi Farm Bureau, building partnerships like that to help make the make the case to our policymakers is so important. Um, that's that's been a real joy for me as well as part of this project is making those connections to help tell the story of why rural America, why farmers, why they're affected. Yeah. And we know that rural areas are more affected than urban um, populations. We know that opioid overdose deaths are 45% more likely in rural areas than they are in urban, as well as suicide rates are more likely to occur in rural areas than urban areas. And um, the little research that has been done on that suggests that Um, There's less access to mental health care in rural areas, as well as um, overall health factors tend to be lower in rural areas. Mm -hmm. And it's important that um, we step up and start talking about these rural areas as well. Right, because if they finally get the courage up to to do something about a problem that they have, Mm -hmm. they might not actually be able to do something about it, right? And that's a really scary position to put someone in. So do we, in Mississippi, do you know if we, how we compare to having resources compared to other states in the nation? We're one of the most underserved states. We have, uh, we're, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, mm-hmm. but we are woefully underserved, particularly in mental health care. And so, I, I, and I'll just comment on that. One of the aspects of our project is um, that we're working with a, with a group out of uh, South Louisiana, out of, New or- out of New Orleans area called AgriSafe. It's actually a national group, but they're based in New Orleans. Um, and they do a lot of work on ag- agricultural-related health and safety, as the name suggests. Um, they, it's been interesting, this kind of circuitous route back to UMMC, but they are working um, with us and with UMMC 
on tra training programs for physicians so that physicians can better understand the challenges that rural communities and particularly ag producers are facing. The, the pain that they may, uh, physical pain that they may be, they may be feeling and trying to get, get our, our providers to better understand um, that. So recognizing um, as, as well that we don't have the mental health care, how can we train the healthcare providers that we do have, the ones that the family docs, the internal medicine docs, the nurse practitioners, PAs, to kind of connect with what ag producers may be going through. It's something that, as you've said, out of sight, out of mind. They don't, they don't think about that in these trainings that we're working with AgriSafe and UMMC, University of Mississippi Medical Center, sorry for the acronym, uh, alphabet soup sometimes. <laughs> uh, it, it, we're, so we're working with them to try to bring our, our healthcare providers up to speed on that. Yeah. Well, we've all been to doctors, right, where they don't ask a lot of questions and it's not their fault personally, right? They have a lot of patients to see. They have to get mm -hmm. through a lot of things and those are requirements by their bosses and insurance companies and everything. But it makes it really difficult for them to sit down and, and have a conversation like that. So like after I had children, you know, postpartum depression is very common and I'm very luckily was not heavily affected by that, but they never asked, you know, are you okay? How are you feeling? What's mm -hmm. going on? They just said, you know, you look good and send yeah. you home. So I think there's a lot more that needs to happen in that area, but I don't know how to solve that. Yes. <laughs> and um, oftentimes with farmers, a lot of people, it's hard to really understand what the farmer is going through. And somebody might think, well, why don't you just sell your land and then you'll be out of debt? But the land is the ultimate loss to the farmer. And mm -hmm. you can't just say, well, I understand what you're going through because if you're not, they're tied to the land, these farmers are. And especially if they're third, fourth generation farmer, even if they're a first generation farmer, that land means a lot to them. Mm -hmm. And it's not just them getting out of a financial crisis. They're losing something that's been going on in their life for a really long time. And so really beginning to understand all of that and how it plays into the farmer's overall health and well-being is important and realizing that the farmers are a unique population mm -hmm. as well that we need to start talking about. They definitely are a unique population and, and like what you were saying that losing the land is the biggest thing and I think a lot of that goes back to the generations that they're dealing with, right? Like if they grew up on that farm, their great-grandfather farmed, their great-grandfather, great-great-grandfather, and then they're the ones who are going to lose the farm for every other generation that kept it afloat, and then it's their fault. They feel mm -hmm. like it's their fault. I mean, I can't imagine the weight that that would put on you. It's really it, – I, I can't understand it, really, because I haven't been in that situation, but it has to be extremely difficult. And like you yes. said, Dr. Baez, earlier, that you, you understand why there's this problem because there's so much going on. I mean, it, it, it makes sense that this would be the cycle that they're going right. through. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So what solutions can we tell people that they can personally do? So we, we back to what you asked earlier, can, can general, the, the general, the proverbial general public uh, participate in mental health first aid? Absolutely. We would love to work with uh, stakeholders, with listeners to, to set up mental health first aid workshops. It is a little long. It's eight hours, but it is well, well, well worth it. Mm -hmm. uh, for folks that don't have that kind of time, we're happy to come out and do shorter, briefer presentations to talk about these issues. And, and uh, you know, as, as little as 30 minutes, we'd be happy to come do 
um, to do a talk to help bring a bring a community up to speed. Um, I would encourage folks to to just start to do some reading um, on this, and I don't mean buying books or checking books out of the library. I'm talking find some news articles about it and just try to get your mind around the challenges that that rural communities and ag producers face so that they're um, better better able to understand. Understanding uh, um, the, the challenge is a first step to, to breaking down some of the stigma. I think we all probably hold some stigma in our minds and in our hearts, and the way to, to dispel that is with the facts, with knowledge, with uh, grasping, grappling with what, what's going on out there and why, what leads to, to addiction, to opioid misuse. Um, those are those are some things that I'd, I would encourage. Again, mental health first aid, uh, working with us on that, um, doing some reading on your own, uh, talking about it, talking about the problem in a way that's dignifying. Um, mm-hmm. I, I would say that's also when you're sitting around in your Sunday school class or you're out for dinner Friday night with friends, don't don't talk in hushed tones about somebody that's been struggling. Be an advocate for for them and for their family. Give respect to people who seek treatment. Mm-hmm. And, and and you never know who else is struggling that you're right. talking to. Also, that's exactly right. Exactly, because I bet everyone knows someone who has been impacted by mm-hmm. this crisis. Mm-hmm. I've not talked to anyone that doesn't have a story mm-hmm. of, of someone connected to them. When I, since I've been doing this work for two and a half years, anytime I have a conversation like we're having right now, we, everybody has had some some story, some connection to the problem. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Which is very sad. Yeah, I wish that weren't the case. But. And that shows that this is an issue that we must begin tackling. And mm-hmm. I'm thankful that we have this project. Yes, to, it is. I, I think also thinking about um, advocacy and just it, 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 those conversations. I mean, we may not know, individuals may not know, um, you know, a certain bill number or policy, that proper language for a policy to talk to their legislators about. But letting a legislator know that represents you, that you care about this, that you care about mm-hmm. this topic, and you want to ensure that we adequately fund treatment um, and that we are not throwing people in jail for, for, for misuse, um, we, that's important. Mm-hmm. I think our, our lawmakers, I know, our lawmakers need to hear from us mm-hmm. and know that we, we care about this issue and, and that when bills come across their desk that we want them to vote in a way that, that gives some dignity to the people who... Are struggling mm-hmm. so we yes. can help instead of right. giving them stigma right yeah definitely and some other things I think it's important that we encourage people some things that they can do within their own homes to prevent opioid misuse um, I think it's important that we share those strategies as well it's important that you store your medication properly and monitor the usage if your spouse or your child is prescribed an opioid I encourage you to be the one that gives them their opioid, not let them hold the bottle and you not know how many they're actually taking. And like Dr. Baez said, you really need to have these conversations with your family members about opioids. Don't be afraid to talk about it. And if your family has a history of um, substance use and misuse, then have a conversation about that too because we know that that genetic predisposition does exist. And lastly, I encourage you to turn in what's left over. If you have a prescription and if you had your wisdom teeth removed and you're healed from that, I encourage you to take your prescription medications to a Dropbox location and drop them off and properly dispose of them. And those don't get tracked 
back to you or anything, right? It's just No, you can just of. walk in. Most law enforcement agencies in the state of Mississippi do have a take-back box. You can go to the DEADiversion.org to look at where take-back boxes are located in the, um, in the state of Mississippi and nationwide. They look like a blue mailbox, and all you do is drop your medications in that box, and then you're free to go. You don't have to talk to the law enforcement agency or the pharmacist. You just drop them and go. And um, they're secured locations that are protected, so no one can walk in and steal those medications mm-hmm. either. And um, no one will even look at you if you do it. So, And some um, people probably have opioids that they don't actually realize are opioids, right? So can yes. you name a few common opioids other than yeah. heroin that we've talked mm-hmm. about, right? The right. Over the, so uh, Lortab, Oxycontin. Um, Vicodin. Vicodin, yeah. Mm-hmm. Percocet, tramadol, those are all pretty common ones. Morphine, fentanyl. And if you're approaching a a surgery uh, and you anticipate getting the prescription, ask your provider ahead of time if you can get an alternative. Um, One of our colleagues recently had an operation and and said that she uh, beforehand asked if there would be something she could get other than an opioid. And they gave her a prescription for some um, higher dose Tylenol. Uh, and and I, as I understand it, it worked quite well. So we don't have to we don't have to take the prescription just because it's part of their protocol to give it. We can ask um, be an advocate for ourselves, being a, being a patient advocate for you know for our own well-being mm-hmm. is good. the The providers often um, are are doing what they've what they've just always done because it's mm-hmm. part of, as I said, their protocol. And they can they can deviate from that. There's nothing holding them to that. Just because someone's having this surgery, then I have to give them that medicine. They can mm-hmm. work around that if you talk to them. Right, and that's really good advice that I actually hadn't really thought about putting in in words before. But that you you really do have some control over it, right? Not complete control because once you start taking those things, it's not like people go into taking medication saying, oh, I hope I get addicted to this by the end of the prescription, right? It's not something that they are hoping for or or wanting. It's that they're maybe not educated enough about the topics that we're talking Mm -hmm. about or that they're just in a a bad situation that they just were doing the wrong thing too many or, or something at the wrong time. And it just had a collapsing effect on them. So it's, it's, really unfortunate series of events, I guess. Um, So for people who are struggling with addiction or just mental health issues in general, what do you suggest that they do? So if someone's in crisis um, and and needs to talk to someone right away, um, I'll tell you that the DMH helpline, the Mississippi Department of Mental Health helpline is a great resource. And so that's 1-877-210-8513. Again, 1-877-210-8513. 1-877-210-8513. And that's the Department, Department of, of Mental Health, Health, Mississippi Department of Mental Health Helpline, and they will connect uh, any individual to resources closest to them. Um, if someone's not in immediate crisis, I suggest they always can talk to their family family doctor, their nurse practitioner in their community, show up at urgent care. Um, those are often staffed by, by well-trained nurse practitioners or physician's assistants who can provide some care um, right away and, and help get them connected. They can triage and help uh, 
get them referred to maybe maybe a counselor or psychologist if they need that or help them get some medication if that would be helpful. Um, you know, there are certainly other um, other helplines that I'd be happy to, to, to post when you when you share this podcast that we can maybe put in the notes section for folks sure. to refer to. Yeah, that's awesome. But reaching out in general yeah, to one of those is important. About it. Yeah, yes. talk, talking about the problem with someone and these, these helplines give you a way to have some anonymity. Um, is is good, but then if you need you need care directly, finding that connection to your your healthcare provider, um, and of course if you're in you know absolutely urgent crisis or you're with someone who is emergency rooms, find an emergency room and, mm-hmm. and get them there. Most emergency or a lot of emergency rooms in Mississippi don't don't have mental health care providers as part of that. So I know like you know close to us, Columbus has got a um, mental health. Um, there's a, there's a sort of mental health emergency room associated with a the hospital there, um, but not all not all areas of the state have that. However, mental uh, excuse me emergency rooms are trained to help triage the problem that people mm-hmm. may be facing and get them connected to better care. Perfect. Is there anything else you want to add that we didn't discuss? Uh, yeah, I, I just want to comment on, on the partnerships. I mentioned Mississippi mm-hmm. Farm Bureau, and that's just been so rewarding to work with partners like them. But um, here in, internally at Mississippi State, being able to work across uh, departmental lines, working with folks like, like you, Dr. Stone, and Animal and Dairy Sciences, and working with colleagues, Dr. Holly Seitz over at the Social Science Research Center and the Department of Communication, and um, Mary Nelson and I are both in Department of Food Science, Nutrition, and Health Promotion, but we've worked with colleagues in human sciences. So interprofessional, interdisciplinary collaboration has been the the real cornerstone of our, our success, I believe. Um, we've worked with agencies outside of our own, so we've worked with the Mississippi Department of Mental Health extensively. We're working with folks at the Mississippi Department of Health. Uh, we've talked to folks at the Pharmacy Board, the DEA, um, and Mississippi Bureau of Narcotics. So it, this is uh, a problem that can't be solved by just one one group working in a silo. It really is an interdisciplinary, interprofessional, requires interdisciplinary, interprofessional responses. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm proud of the way that as as a project we've and, and as a team, we've been able to come together mm-hmm. and work on that. So um, I, I just, I, yeah, that, that would be my parting comment. Yeah, how, I'm how proud of it too. It is yes. rewarding and it's very non-compartmentalized of a problem, right? So like mm-hmm. if I deal with cows getting mastitis, which is a common research area in animal and dairy sciences, right? That's something that you guys would not tackle, maybe human mastitis, but not dairy yeah. cattle mastitis, right? And so this is this goes across all disciplines and it's a very real personal crisis that all of us are dealing with, not just in our jobs, but in our, our real lives, because it's everywhere, right? So it's yes. a really, really important issue to tackle. And I'm glad to be a, a part of the team and appreciate you guys working hard to tackle it. We're glad to have you on the team. Thank you. Thanks for having us on the show. Yeah, thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. I appreciate you coming in. And thanks for joining us on Ag Matters. Be sure to like and subscribe and tune in next time. Ag Matters is produced and supported by the Mississippi State University Extension Service.